Well, hello, my friend. It's another episode of Flight Safety Detectives in a different way. Uh, this is going to be a beta test of uh, both our video and audio so that we can post it up on YouTube. So it's, uh, it's good to see you, even though we are not together, as uh, unfortunately, again, we are 1,400 miles away. But it's not because uh, a lack of trying. So uh, with your schedule and my schedule, it is a little bit crazy. But I think uh, we're now going to have a cool format that when we aren't together, you and I are going to be able to still chat it up and uh, give a particular hand signal whenever we disagree with each other or we don't like what the other one said. Uh, just keep it entertaining, except now our listeners are going to be able to see some of those actions. So you have to curtail some of the things that you do, John. Yes. And also it's going to be live, recorded live. So we're not going to edit this. So we definitely have to watch our language. <laughs> Me in particular. Yeah, yes, exactly. So, well, it's going to be, uh, I think, uh, a fun format now. And I think for our listeners um, and now hopefully uh, a regular viewer, um, they're going to be able to see what we're talking about. We intend to use this medium to provide pictures and background and things that it's very difficult to describe in a podcast when you're trying to, uh, to just use words. Um, now we can actually show pictures and, and things like that. So I think it's going to enhance uh, the, this product. And of course, it's going to provide a little more entertainment for our listeners and now viewers. So uh, before we get started with today's show, which I think will be very good, and again, um, it is an issue with, uh, with respect to unruly passengers that we've been dealing with. And, and again, this is a safety issue that John and I believe is, uh, is really critical right now at this time in commercial aviation, because uh, unruly passengers do present a serious safety issue. Uh, before we get to that, though, John, I'm going to let you uh, talk to the, uh, to the viewers and the listeners about our sponsors. All right. Just a reminder that today's show was brought to you by PAMA, the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association. And uh, if you want more information about PAMA, if you're a maintenance person, uh, you can log on to pama.org, O-I-G, and get more information about PAMA. And this show is also brought to you by Avemco Insurance. So if you're a general aviation pilot and you need to uh, renew your policy, or if you need a new policy because you bought a new airplane, or a flight instructor, or any kind of insurance involving general aviation, give Avemco a call, 888-879-0389, or on the web at avemco.com. And if you mention to them that you watch the show or listen to the show, then uh, they will give you a 5% discount right off the bat. Now, the fortunate thing, John, for us is that I'm sitting in my office in Denver, and, um, and so now viewers, listeners are going to be able to, uh, to see kind of the environment because I'm going to be on travel uh, pretty much the whole month of June. So you're going to see this background change most likely as I'm traveling around doing work. You, John, look like uh, you're sinking underwater, so we're going to have to help fix that, that issue so that we can see the magnificence of your particular office. Where, where is that? It's in my house in, in Massachusetts. Yeah. I have a little small little home office and uh, surrounded with all pictures and mementos that I have uh, gathered through the years. This is only a fraction of it. In fact, I was looking at my collection of, of things uh, recently, just saying, what am I going to do with all that stuff? Yeah, a little. It'll eventually go into a museum. Not sure what museum that will be, but it'll go into a museum. They're going to hang me in the Boeing museum uh, of flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A junkyard is a perfect place for all your stuff. Making how much you can collect. Yeah. Well, why don't you introduce our, uh, our guest today, who's going to be a regular on the show um, periodically, just because, uh, one, he's going to be our video master for a while until we really figure out what the heck we're doing. 
And then, um, of course, uh, with Todd's background, he, uh, he will be able to contribute to the discussions of aviation safety. So I'll turn it over to you, John. All right, so uh, Todd Curtis is our, our guest. We gotta, we gotta elevate him to something more than a guest. Yeah, he's, he's more than a friend of the show. We'll call him a colleague of the show. Okay. All right, so he's our colleague. I've always thought of him to be a colleague anyway. And uh, Todd runs his own podcast called airsafe.com. He also is a commentator on many of the uh, uh, TV programs when they're looking for somebody to give some expert advice about some subject. And uh, he's well-educated, so I won't hold that against him. <laughs> He's probably the most educated of the three of us. Yeah, so he is also in the in Boston, and uh, he actually went to school here in Boston, one of those uh, big name schools, in uh, which I love to give him crap about. What does that start with? An H or something like that? Well, there is uh, someone in my house who does work with the school beginning with H and went there, but I went to one beginning with M. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, we won't hold that against you, Todd. So. Well, I want to thank uh, the two of you for inviting me. And uh, as you said, I'm Todd Curtis. And one of the things I'm most known for, at least in the media world, is way back in 1996, I started a, po- a uh, website called airsafe.com. Back when websites were sort of like uh, as new as TikTok videos. And at the time, they seem to be as, about as useful, but obviously time has proven that wrong. And I've been fortunate enough to not only work with these two gentlemen over the years, going back to the 1990s, but uh, since I left uh, my earlier aviation incarnation as an engineer at Boeing, we've worked together occasionally in, in other ways as well. And we've even ended up on the occasional uh, television show, you know, different interviews being spliced in. So here's an opportunity to get the three of us to speak clearly and honestly, and with what, with few expletives about issues of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you better work on your editing skills there, Todd, because John, there's going to be a lot of bleeps. I think this is a family-friendly show, so we'll have to uh, make sure that it stays family-friendly. <laughs> so, and uh, uh, although my uh, background was as a flight test engineer and, and aviation safety analyst, of late, the last few years, one of the things I've been doing is reaching out to the aviation community in general and the flying public in particular about issues of safety and security, especially things that individual passengers, individual pilots, private pilots, et cetera, can do to enhance the quality and lower the risk of their flight experience. And one of the subjects we're going to talk about today is something that is very real and happening right now in the United States uh, in that along with the pandemic easing a bit and travel going way back up to almost normal levels, let's say 2019 levels, there's been a huge spike in unruly passenger behavior. And by unruly, I don't mean being impolite and not saying please or thank you and whatnot. I'm talking about people assaulting flight attendants. I'm talking about people not paying attention to crew members' instructions, people breaking rules and when find, being found out that they broke a rule, for example, sneaking alcohol on board and drinking their own booze, uh, they get belligerent. Yeah. Sometimes they get arrested. Sometimes they'll end up in jail. And we don't want that to happen to anyone listening to the show. And, and you bring up a good point in the fact that John and I have had these discussions. Um, and again, I've been traveling um, all of last year. And of course, this year, I've seen the change in attitudes as people are coming back to fly on aircraft and it's it's disconcerting because there is this level of belligerence there is this level of entitlement that i didn't see i mean i saw it sporadically before covid but now it's just um, i mean it's getting out of control and now with with these people that are assaulting flight attendants and gate agents and just think that you know hey they should be catered to i just don't understand it and the fact that I watched a guy push by two disabled people to get on the airplane because he wanted to put his stuff in an overhead before all the overhead space uh, was taken. I mean, that's just unacceptable. And <laughs> I will not have a problem if I see somebody assaulting a flight attendant or a gate agent to step in. 
And, you know, it's just one of those things where, where is this airport etiquette? Where is this aircraft or airline etiquette? I mean, I still have a high respect for the fact that this is not a right. It's a privilege to be able to use commercial airlines to move from point A to point B. You have no, I mean, you have no right to get on that airplane. It's a privilege and you should respect that privilege. And unfortunately, we have lost that. Um, from the way people dress on airplanes. I mean, I'll tell you some of the stuff I've seen people wearing on airplanes lately. What um, they wear. I mean, hell, I'm glad that they're disinfecting the airplane because what these people are wearing and what they're bringing on the airplane kind of concerns me. So um, I'm glad that they're still disinfecting the airplanes, but they're bringing these attitudes and, and, and there's just no place for it. And they do really create a very serious safety issue, not only from assaulting a flight attendant, but now we've had, I think, more events in the last 18 months with people trying to open the door, the cabin door at altitude. It's like, what the hell is going on here? Well, for the benefit of those who are watching the video version of this, there's a couple of things I'd like to share with you uh, that illustrate exactly what you've been talking about. And the first one is uh, from the FAA. This is uh, something that's on their website where they're talking about the number of uh, enforcement actions, violations of the kind of rules we're talking about in this year, 2021. This is as of May 25th, 2021. There've been 394 of these reported to the FAA. This is more than in any period since they started keeping records and publishing them back in 1995. It doesn't show it here, but way back in 2004, there are about 305 for the whole year. Right now, before even June 1st, there's 394. Yeah. Now, there's a bunch of reasons for that, and we can go into that later. And what you, you said, a, go ahead. You raise an interesting point. So what's the, what might be a possible connection between 2021 and 2004? Well, in 2004, because of 9-11, we had a massive change in aviation travel, and people were not traveling. Yeah. And now in 2004, they were coming back. And that lines up with the 2020, where we've had another disaster in aviation where no one was traveling. And now we have 2021 with the spike of return of, of the passengers. I wonder if there's a correlation between both of those events. Well, speaking of the spike of return of traffic, let's uh, show that right now. Uh, they, these are, um, this is data from Flight Radar 24, where they looked at worldwide flights of aircraft. The red line is 2019. The blue line is 2020. As you can see, there was a huge drop in the latter part of March where the levels were just, you know, just ridiculously low. And here the black line is 2021. It has the same shape as 2019, not quite as many flights, but we're getting back to normal. And in fact, the numbers show that in latter part of May, there are about 179,000 flights around the world. Whereas in 2019, there was about 195,000. 2020, there was only 103,000 on average for those seven days. So again, yeah. we're coming back. But you say to yourself, well, the numbers are coming back. Why is the stress so much higher? Yeah. Well, here's an example, a couple of examples of you know, what not to do on the flight. This is a screen grab from a passenger video taken on May 22nd, 2021. That shows a passenger allegedly punching a flight attendant in the head. I say yeah. allegedly because I don't want to get sued. This is working its way through the system. And at some point, there might be a civil penalty or even a criminal uh, penalty against the alleged perpetrator. But this is a kind of behavior that is leading to the kind of complaints. Another thing I'd like to point out, where passengers can help out. Now, as Greg mentioned, he had no, no hesitation stepping in and doing something. I'm not saying people should get between themselves and flying fists, but I am saying this. If you see a way to defuse a situation, help to defuse it. If you see that, you know, someone's being rude to a flight attendant, you might say offhandedly, hey, you know, she's a member of the crew. Don't do that. Yeah. And if you don't want to put yourself in danger, perhaps the greatest thing you can do is to document and memorialize the kind of behavior we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've done that before. Um, I, I was sitting on a flight and a uh, guy got on and of course they were still boarding. We were sitting first class 
And um, he expected the flight attendant to start catering to his drink needs. And the flight attendant said, sir, you know, <laughs> we're still in the boarding process. I'll get to you as soon as we finish boarding. And he demanded this drink. And it's like, okay, you're sitting in first class. I'm thinking to myself, it's obvious that you don't fly first class much, or if you do, then you're just stupid. But he continually just demanded, you cater to me right now. I don't care that we're boarding. And I turned to him after the flight attendant walked away because she looked at me and you know, rolled her eyes. And I said, dude, let me just tell you that you're not going to get a drink until this boarding process is done. And most likely because it's a full flight, you're not going to see a drink till we get near. So, of course, he goes, who the hell are you? It's a, it doesn't matter who I am. I'm just telling you that if you keep going this way, it's a federal offense to be belligerent to a flight attendant. And if she thinks you're a threat, you're gone. And he ended up shutting up for a little while, but then started it once we got in flight. And again, you know, it's this attitude, this entitlement, like, who are you? It doesn't matter. The fact is, these people have a job and people think that flight attendants are CSRs, customer service representatives. They're not there to cater to your needs. They are not there to serve you drinks and serve you meals. They are CSRs. They are customer safety representatives. They are looking out for your best interest, especially if safety is jeopardized and you need to get off that airplane in the event of an incident or an accident. They are not there to take your drink orders. And, and people have to understand this. And, you know, with all of us, the three of us fly a lot. Um, time to spare, go by air. You got to have patience. This is not one of those things where you just show up and get on the airplane and, you know, away we go. Um, there are a lot of things that, yes, they, it escalates frustration. But for those of us that travel a lot, that's anticipated even before we get to the airport. It's programmed into the time we spend getting to the airport, being at the airport, going through the process of security and waiting for the aircraft. I program all that in, whether it's a weather delay, whether it's a mechanical delay, it is what it is. And you yelling as a passenger at a, at a gate agent or a, a customer service representative or the flight attendant or even the pilots isn't going to make that airplane go anywhere any faster. And Greg, what you brought up, uh, there are three things that came to mind when you said that. And let me start with a couple of them right off the bat. The fact that the role of flight attendants, they're crew members. They're not only crew members, they are authorized by the federal government to be flight attendants. This is a process that you just can't walk off the street and become a yeah. flight attendant. Uh, they have to follow very strict federal guidelines with respect to what they do in the air, how well they do it. They're trained to, among other things, to be able to evacuate a full, fully loaded aircraft within 90 seconds with only half the exits open. Yeah. Now, the average yeah. person, they think, well, it takes 10, 15 minutes to load us onto the airplane on the good day. Yeah, but flight attendants are trained to take command of a situation and get you off the airplane so you can live to fly another day. Well, that's one thing. And yeah, another thing is, uh, if I can share this with you again... These things that we're talking about, these are all um, followed by the federal government because in the air, the air is under federal jurisdiction. doesn't matter yeah. what state you're flying from or to. When it comes to getting on an airplane in the United States or on a U.S. registered aircraft, federal law takes precedence over everything else. So whatever you think your rights are with respect to being served or being able to do what you want, now, there are certain rules you can't do. And this is just an example of this year, what's going on. 2,500 reports of unruly behavior. And again, the year's not even half over. Yeah. 1,900 cases of mask noncompliance. Now, for those of you who are upset about the mask requirements of various states and various municipalities, let me repeat this. When you fly, it's federal jurisdiction. The federal government has stated repeatedly that for the time being, the use of masks in the airplane and in the secure parts of the airport is mandated. So whether you like it or don't like it, whether you think it's an imposition on your freedom or not, this is not a case to be taken up with the flight attendant or with the customer service agents before you get on, on board the aircraft. This is the way it is. Deal yep. with it. Yep, exactly. Um, you know, they are not going to change policy 
just for you because you don't want to wear a mask. And, and again, hey, I don't like wearing a mask all the time, but it is what it is. And, and you got to think of an airplane as basically a little city. Of course, the, the pilot, the, the captain, he's the mayor. He makes the rules when, uh, when they're in flight because he's got to enforce those rules um, as well. Uh, you have the deputy mayor that's sitting in the right seat, and then the flight attendants are, are basically the police and, and every other uh, you know, municipal organization in a little city. They are the ones that keep the peace. They, you know, again, keep the, the aircraft safe as far as the passengers in the back. And if there is a situation that arises, they're the first ones that are going to have to address the situation before they escalate it to the mayor's office. And they're going to try and defuse it. Um, again, if you pose a risk to someone else on that aircraft, um, you're either going to pay the price. That is, there are consequences. And, and if you continue those actions, as soon as that airplane lands, you're really going to pay the price, not to the local municipality, but of course, to the feds. And the federal penalty, as we've seen, Todd, is, uh, I mean, people are going to jail. They've got fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars fines by the United States government. They are not joking around with with this, and they will not accept this. And you can talk, you try and talk your way out of it in court. I guarantee it's going to cost you a lot of money and probably some time. And oh, by the way, if you are convicted, that is now a federal offense. That's a felony. Now you got a felony on your record. And oh, by the way, go try and get a job. Yeah, and probably you'll be on the no-fly list. Yes. And before I take this uh, graphic down, I want to bring up these points. And like you just said, the Department of Justice, this is not, again, not local. This is the federal government taking you to federal court, putting you possibly in federal prison. And the kind of things that we've seen this year, one of the issues one of the things that's caused the consternation in the air and perhaps some friction amongst passengers is, uh, you know, what happened at the Capitol in early January. No matter what you think about it one way or the other, there were violent events going on. And prior to that, prior to January 6th, there was a heightened awareness on the part of the airlines of stuff possibly going on there. Sure. Some of the airlines even then were banning alcohol sales on flights going to the Washington, D.C. area. And subsequent to what happened, some of those participants were put on no-fly list. You might have seen some viral videos of people being you know, taken off planes and going boo-hoo-hoo in the airport because the government or whomever is running the no-fly list, which is an issue for another show itself, is uh, saying, hey, you cannot not, not just fly today. You're not going to be flying on any airline in the United States for the foreseeable future. Yeah. More recently, in the past day or so, uh, there's now three major airlines accounting for, I don't know, 75, 80% of the passengers flown who are saying right now they're not going to serve alcohol in flight. That's United, American, and Southwest. Yeah. And there may be others that are doing that as well. And, and I know that that's starting to come back as well, Todd, because uh, some of the flights that I've been on, you know, they, they are serving, you know, I guess, alcohol now. Whether it's in limited quantities, is, I, I haven't paid a lot of attention, but um, they're trying to return the passenger experience back to some level of normal. But again, you've got a lot of people getting on an airplane that have been, you know, tearing it up in a bar in the terminal before they even get on the airplane, which no one's able to control. So they're already half, you know, three sheets to the wind before they get on the airplane. And then they just exacerbate it by another drink once they get on the aircraft. My bigger concern, of course, living in a state where marijuana is legal is these folks are, that are all hepped up on, you know, the gummies and the brownies and everything else that's laced with THC um, getting on an airplane. Because again, it's uh, it's something that influences their behavior, not necessarily in a good way. And it, again, <laughs> you know, it is a federal offense. There's a, a couple of other changes in the in the recent uh, past that probably have gone unnoticed. You know, I can remember when passengers were rowdy years ago, and one of the crew members would come back and talk to them, 
and that usually quieted them down. The crew would go back into the cockpit. Well, today the crew's not going to come back. You know, they've got very strict orders on, on when they can leave the cockpit and, and the procedures that have to be followed when they leave the cockpit. So yeah. they're not going to come back to talk to an unruly passenger. They're just going to look for an airport and put you down someplace. And if, if you're on a flight from, let's say, from uh, uh, L.A. or San Francisco coming to New York or Boston, a good portion of that flight's over Canada. Yeah. And if you decide to put the airplane down in Canada, in Canada like Toronto, right, you are now in a real world of trouble. And I'm glad you brought that up, John, because I wanted to bring up an issue. Uh, it's not just transatlantic flights. For example, if you're anywhere in North America going to Europe, whether you're going from as far west as Seattle or far east as, as Miami, at some point on the flight over to Europe, you're going to be over or near Canadian airspace. And if there is an issue on, an, on a flight and the crew makes a decision to put that aircraft down, they're going to put it down at the nearest available airport. If that's in Canada, sorry, Charlie, or, or Jane, or whatever your name is, you're <laughs> going to be subject to Canadian law. And like the U.S. laws with respect to unruly passengers, Canada doesn't play around. So you could be spending an indeterminate amount of time in a country not your own, in a legal system that's unfamiliar to you. And you're going to be, sorry, Charlie, out of luck when it comes to that. And not just for international flights. For example, and I've done this many times, going from Seattle to New York or Boston on the East Coast, very often part of the flight takes you over Southern Canada. And again, if it happens over Canadian airspace, Canada has jurisdiction over that flight. The crew can land the plane. Air traffic control might recommend that they land the plane. If they land, they take you off, that's where you get charged. Yeah, and recently, Todd, there was an article about somebody that uh, created an issue in flight and they happened to be over the state of Maryland and that's where the charges were filed in flight because they were in Maryland or at least the airspace over Maryland, they decided to use Maryland's um, judicial system to, uh, to prosecute this particular person. Now, you don't know, <laughs> you start raising hell on an airplane, you happen to be over a state that's very conservative and they take, you know, no grief. Uh, you could find yourself with some very, very severe penalties um, wherever that may be uh, flying over the United States. So don't just think that because you're in the air that, uh, that the local municipalities don't have a finger in all of uh, this prosecution because they, they possibly do besides the feds. And bring up what I said earlier, there are things that passengers can do to enhance safety and security in the air. If you see something that is definitely not uh, should be going on in the plane, and this is something that's come up repeatedly, where people have taken advantage of people in flight, especially long flights, transatlantic flights, transcontinental flights, where they're uh, molesting or bothering a person near them, report that to the flight attendant, uh, make sure that they're aware of this. They'll separate the people in flight, and if necessary, and I hope it's every time they do this, when they land, they turn that person over to the appropriate authority. And as we said before, this is a federal jurisdiction situation. Uh, this, and there have been recent cases where they have announced, hey, the Department of Justice has convicted this person of taking sexual liberties with someone. They're gonna be in prison for X number of years. They'll be under probation for X number of decades and on a uh, sexual predators list. And this is something where 20 or 30 years ago, Perhaps the mentality was, hey, what can they do to me? Times have changed. Mentalities yeah. have changed. Laws have changed. And the tolerance has been lower than ever. You know, one of the earlier cases under this, this uh, disruptive passenger rules uh, just went to, to sentencing yesterday. I just read that uh, somebody got six months in jail, plus the fines, uh, and plus the record. Uh, for being disruptive on an airplane. And with the kinds of, kinds of numbers that we're seeing now in the first six months of this year, I think the courts are going to look uh, dimly upon any future cases, and those numbers will probably go up with uh, time in jail going up as well as the fines going to maximum. Well, what we're talking about today fits in with sort of like an easy way to remember how to deal with situations like this. Uh, it's a three-level sort of treatment. There's education, regulation, and incarceration. 
And obviously we're talking right now about the incarceration portion of it, but we're here primarily for the education portion of it, because really, if you act with some sense, if you behave yourself, you'll prevent not just going to jail, but something less serious, but equally disruptive. What if you act a fool on an airline and that airline bans you for life or bans you for X number of years? Well, now you and your family will not be able to uh, travel together. And if it goes to something beyond that, let's say you go just from being banned on an airline to being put on a no-fly list. You go from being put on the no-fly list to being uh, no, guilty of a civil penalty. You're out some money. And plus whatever money you take to help defend yourself. You go a step beyond that. It goes beyond money. It becomes a permanent record. And again, there's a range of things. If you deal with the education part of it, if you open up your ears and your mind to what we're saying, it doesn't get to the regulation, certainly doesn't get to incarceration. Yeah, the, uh, I, I think that when we, when we look at all of this, it, it goes back to civility. That is, would you act like this in your own home with your family, with your friends? You know, would you act like this in the grocery store? And why is it that you're acting like this on an airplane? And, um, and it's just, it, it is very disconcerting that these attitudes are, are really starting to not only come about, but th they're coming about on a more regular basis. And the question is, why? What triggered it? Yes, we had those sporadic cases before COVID, but COVID is a lame excuse for, you know, blaming someone's behavior. I mean, you chose for whatever reason to stay locked up in your house and not leave your house for a year. That was your choice. You had opportunities to leave your home and that kind of stuff. If you wanted to stay cooped up in the house, that's one thing. But now that you have this, quote, freedom to get out and travel and do that kind of stuff, you don't take it out on people that, you know, you're traveling with or traveling in the, in the same circle with. And, and again, I stayed, I never stopped traveling last year. And it was great when there was only a handful of people on the airplane. Why? Because we didn't have to worry about this. And the flight attendants loved it. You know, I mean, pretty much we were all professional travelers because we we're business people using the aircraft and, and it was fine. But now I'm watching and I've been down to Florida a number of times recently, and the families that are traveling, even in front of their kids, you have these people, these parents that are very belligerent to others. I mean, what kind of example are you setting for your kids, you know, that you can go in there and start kicking ass and taking names, um, you know, with, uh, with employees who are trying to do their job and enforce federal regulation? They aren't going to change just for you. And, uh, Another and thing it's just is, sad. If you're one of these people who think that, you know, I'm going to get in this person's face and do something. Keep in mind that in the current reality, 2021, if you have 100 people on the airplane, there are 150 cameras within, you know, in their mm -hmm. pockets. So yeah. something starts happening. People will start recording either because they're trying to make a video go viral or they think, well, this is. Some, yeah, these people serious. will become a YouTube star real soon. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, perhaps for the younger generation that's used to having private behavior displayed yeah. in public, it doesn't hurt you so much. But think about it. What if you are a professional person, good job, good life, and you do something stupid and it's on video? Yeah. It doesn't go away. No. Even if you're never charged, even if you never get a, even a ticket for your behavior. Uh, that's something that's going to live in the internet for decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it is a crazy, uh, it is a crazy situation and there is no simple answer for this. You can't screen personalities and characteristics of people getting on an airplane. It is up to the individual. And the, the biggest thing that I can tell people and I tell people now, especially when they ask me about it or I do interviews and that kind of thing is one, time to spare, go by air. I mean, you have to repeat that mantra because life has changed. Um, and, and you have to program in these little frustration triggers. So if you give yourself an extra half hour, 45 minutes, when you get to the airport, 
You're not racing the clock. You're not pushing against a deadline of trying to catch the flight, especially if you're traveling with kids or pets or anything else that could slow your progress down, especially going through security. Um, of course, I travel. I've been, I've been screening when I travel now. I've been planning my flights pretty much in the middle of the day. That is between about 10 o'clock and two o'clock um, because that's when the decrease occurs in travel. There's always a morning push and an evening push, especially for business travelers. They want to get out early in the morning, try to get to where they're going, maybe on a one day meeting. And then of course they're packing the airplanes coming back in the evening flights. So I've been trying to schedule my travel midday, 10 to two, because that's when there's a pretty much a lull in all air, you know, uh, passenger traffic. I mean, I was just at Washington Dulles and it was awesome. I got there for an 1130 flight. I rolled right in. I went through, uh, checked my bags, walked in. I was the only guy in security, got through security. I was the only one on the, on the train going out to the gate, got out there. And there was probably, you know, 50, 60 people getting on a 737 to come back to Denver. So uh, again, plan your travel accordingly. Try to try to plan it so that you get there in those lull points. I know that listening to this, now everybody's going to travel. And <laughs> so now we're going to have a bunch of people showing up and it'll get crowded again. But you try to plan your, your flight so that you reduce your frustration levels because uh, you know that there is going to be either a maintenance issue with that aircraft or a potential weather issue, especially right now coming into thunderstorm season around the country. You go through a hub like a Chicago who is susceptible to either uh, landing, you know, uh, slowdowns in landing or, um, or arrival rates um, because of thunderstorm activity. Houston is another uh, place for that. So if you can uh, plan your flight through, you know, some oddball place and still get there in a reasonable time, then that's what you should do. But again, it's all about pre-planning to reduce this frustration level. And to emphasize what you're saying, the three of us here, we're all veteran travelers. We've been traveling for decades. And for us, it's second nature to do that. Now, what is, and that's, that hasn't changed. Those common sense things, you should do them now. Plan ahead assume there's going to be, you know, delay somewhere so you don't you know, rush and get all stressed out. On top of the regular stresses, we have things that are going on in the background. And as I pointed out here on the slide here, the FAA starting in January actually came out and said, look, we are going to start having less tolerance for foolishness and whatever form foolishness may take. And, you know, the, the alcohol thing, well, we've talked about that. But on top of that, if you think, well, I'm going to do a little pre-planning, instead of planning on drinking in the airplane, I'll drink before I get on board. Well, don't do that either, because a couple things. If you're seen as someone who is inebriated, you'll be denied boarding on the airplane. Yeah. And the other thing, think about it from a common sense perspective. Why do you want to get loaded before you get on the airplane? That's true for alcohol, and it's true for marijuana, which we can talk about later on. But the rules for marijuana, simply put, not allowed on the airplane, not allowed on in carry-on baggage, not allowed in check baggage, not allowed on your person. Doesn't matter what the state law says, federal law takes precedence. Yeah. And the federal law does not allow marijuana on airplanes, period. So you think, oh, I'll outsmart these folks. I'll go to my local store where I can legally buy some gummies. I can have the gummies. They don't want, no one even smell the weed on me. So they'll let me go on the airplane. Well, a couple of reasons for that. One, it's not very bright. Two, it's not very bright. And three, <laughs> if you chew gummies, I'm no expert on this. I just read stuff online. Effect, yeah, it's only a research <laughs> project for you, Todd. Yeah. Okay. You know, if people, uh, you know, smoke it, it has a certain effect at a certain speed. Apparently gummies take a while to kick in. Yeah. So you can like take the gummies, be perfectly okay for an hour or two, get through security, and you get on board, and it's like a Cheech and Chong movie. Okay, I'm dating myself here. But you really don't want to be in a position where you can't help yourself or help others on the airplane. Yeah, I like and, your little. I like your little phrase. You know, don't get high before you fly. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> uh, one of the things I've learned in the uh, years of doing stuff on television and radio is you have to come up with sound bites. 
So yeah. it's like, yes, I can do the engineering approach and give you a very long, thoughtful uh, you know, set of ideas, or I can crunch it into something eight seconds or less. Don't get high yeah. before you fly. That's one of them. Well, the, the, I don't drink when I'm on an aircraft. And the reason for it is because as a safety guy, I know what it takes to try and evacuate an airplane at night, upside down, smoke filled, because I've had to investigate accidents like that. You want to have your wits about you. You want to have your faculties about you. And you want to be physically able to extricate yourself if you possibly can. And any kind of intoxication um, or impairment is going to delay that, even if it's just a matter of seconds. And those matters of seconds are the difference between life and death. And we've seen that in a number of accidents. Um, okay, I'm not telling people not to drink, but again, everything in moderation, because if something uh, unfortunate happens, it's going to be up to you most likely to get your ass out of the airplane. I mean, it, you know, the flight attendants are there to try to assist, but you can't depend on anybody but yourself. And I've always believed that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you know, I don't need to drink that bad. Um, you know, people go, oh, well, I drink to calm my nerves or I do this. That's an excuse. That's just a simple excuse. If you have that much fear of flying, then don't fly. Take the bus, take the train. Don't get on an airplane. Um, but one of the, the big issues is that people don't think about the, the safety briefings. And of course, the, I'm always thinking consequences. Now, in all the four plus million miles I've flown just on one carrier and the millions I've flown on other carriers, I've been on a lot of airplanes and been on a lot of flights. And knock on wood, I've never had a serious event. Um, have there been potential for serious events? Absolutely. But I've prepared myself, and especially over when I was flying in China, um, I was on a number of airplanes where we had uh, we we were a heartbeat away from having a serious event. I wanted to make sure that if something happened, I was prepared for it and I was prepared to execute if necessary. And I preach it all the time, Todd. Um, I know John does too, and that is you have to execute with purpose. Well, in order to execute with purpose, you have to understand what the purpose is, whether that is to evacuate or, or, or something else. Um, and you have to have your wits about you. And I like to throw a little bit of aviation physiology in here for a minute. When you're traveling in a typical air, airliner, you're at altitude and the cabin is actually not at the same pressure as it is on the ground. It's equivalent to, let's say, being above uh, Denver. Denver's like mile high. Yeah. Typical cabin is what, 7,500 feet above sea level? Uh, about, about 62 to 75, depending on the airplane. And one of the effects of that is that you have less oxygen in an airline cabin than you would on the ground. So whatever alcohol you do drink, it has more of an effect in the air because you have less oxygen to metabolize all the things that happen in the body. So, you know, one drink might feel like one and a half drinks. Two drinks, yeah. you know, you're uh, useless when it comes to getting out of the airplane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. John, you were talking about, uh, you know, executing with purpose. Yeah. Well, you need to plan. You know, when you get on an airplane and the FAA has put this out for years and years and nobody pays attention to it, but know where you're sitting on the airplane. Yep. You know where you came in the front door, but how far away are you from the back door? How far away are you from the overwing exits? Right? Do you look down on the floor to see if it's a red or green light by, your, by the emergency exit that you're going to look for when the airplane goes off the end of the runway and it's full of smoke? Like 99% of the passengers don't do that. Yep. I mean, I've learned to do that faithfully. You count the seats, count the seats to the, the exit in front of you. You count the seats to the exit behind you, because I guarantee when that airplane is upside down and it's smoke filled and it's at night, those lights that you're trying to follow on the floor are now on the ceiling and you're not going to see them. And oh, by the way, you're not going to be standing up. Most likely you're going to be crawling. These are the kinds of things. The other thing that we've seen in Air Canada was one of those accidents that occurred where they had a lavatory fire. Um, the airplane was put down in Cincinnati. People started to evacuate the burning airplane. There were a number of people that did not evacuate. They were still found in their seats. And that's because they didn't know how to open the seatbelt. You have to remember the seatbelt in your car opens with a button. The airplane seatbelt opens with a flap. And there were a lot of people seen trying to push 
on the button that didn't exist. It's actually a flap. Physiology and just human nature is you revert to what you know best in a panic or a high stress, high anxiety situation. And these people reverting, trying to open up that, that seatbelt, were pushing on the flap instead of pulling the flap. Little things like that. And that's the difference between life and death or life and serious injury. And again, unless you have your wits about you, you aren't going to be able to perform. Speaking of human nature, this is something I've seen repeatedly over decades. Many countries, many cultures, so it's not, you know, you can't point your finger at any, any one of them. Airplanes on fire, people are evacuating. And you see photographs and videos later, people with their luggage and yeah. laptops and whatnot. Again, it's human nature. Yeah. Frankly, having never been in a situation like that, I can sit here right now and say, yes, I'm going to leave my laptop behind. When push comes to shove and things go squirrely and crazy, how am I going to behave? I won't know till I get there. But I will say this. Part of the planning is, do you have something that's so valuable that you're going to go behind and you know, fire and try to retrieve it? Hey, put it in your pocket, wear it around you or whatever, or don't carry it. You know, mm -hmm. Think, I got to get myself off the airplane. I have to get my loved ones off the airplane. Everything else I have, no matter how valuable, if it's so valuable, I'm going to go back for it. Don't bring it. The only thing I got to worry about is my life is on my phone. So <laughs> as long as I got my phone in my pocket <laughs> and a credit card and an ID, I'm good to go. Everything else can burn up because I'll replace it. Doesn't matter to me. So well, now we're going to get into the area of uh, clothing behavior and the, and the fact that uh, women's clothing traditionally doesn't have as many pockets or as big a pocket set of pockets as men's clothing. So if you are a person who can't fit your phone in your pocket because there are no pockets, figure out a way to keep the phone, the phone on your person. Yeah. Well, uh, and John and I have seen this uh, in, in all of our work, and I know you have too, Todd. Um, I, I see what people wear getting on the airplane. Um, and it, it just... <laughs> I just shake my head when they, when people get on with short pants and, and, you know, uh, T tops and, or whatever they're, they're called. Uh, look, if there's any kind of fire event or there's any kind of emergency landing that causes the airplane to break open, there's going to be either fire, sharp metal, a combination of both wearing, you know, polyester type clothes is the worst thing you can do because that polyester will melt to your skin in the fire. Um, you know, if you can wear cotton clothes, cotton jeans, cotton dress, cotton pants, um, socks, and, and that kind of thing, those are the kinds of clothing that you should be wearing. Um, long sleeve, whatever that's made of cotton, because if there is a fire or, it, or you're trying to evacuate, um, it's better to rip the shirt than rip your arm getting out of jagged metal. Little things like that are the difference between serious injury and no injury. And, and you and me and John think that way because this is our life. But the general public doesn't think that way. But if they can be prepared in the unlikely event something's going to happen, their chances of survival or mitigation of serious injury goes way up if they just think about the clothes that they wear. People that are wearing flip-flops on an airplane, you try to get out of an airplane that's on fire in the swamp, upside down at night. Those flip-flops, those are not going to provide any kind of protection if they stayed on your feet. Most likely, you, you're, you're going to be barefoot. And if you paid attention to Greg and you have your shoes on, and you, like me, you like to take the shoes off during the middle of the flight, hey, wear them for taxi takeoff and landing. Take yep. them off when you're at altitude because... Things, when things go wrong, when things go get out of hand, it tends to be during the earliest and the latest portion of the flight. Yeah. So you want to be on your P's and Q's and have your shoes on until you're comfortably up in the air. The highest accident rates are takeoff and landing, 80, better than 80%. And, right. um, and so those are the critical phases of flight. You plan ahead. You know, maybe, maybe you have a, a light jacket, you put it on for landing. Where you have the pockets, you can put your phone in, you can put your ID in, and a credit mm -hmm. card. You know, I have yeah. a little pouch that I put all that stuff in, and I can take it out of my bag, and I that's yeah, a little pouch, John. <laughs> yeah, call it what it is. It's a fanny pack that you've been wearing <laughs> since 1970. So come. On. <laughs> Actually, now, that, but that's a good idea. 
<laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't include one exception to the don't carry anything off the airplane. For those of you who are traveling with your pets, and these days are kind of strict, it has to be a small pet fitting under the seat and all that. Yeah. Uh, would I yell at you if you bent over, pulled the little doggy out from under the seat, and cradle the dog in your arms as, as you go out the emergency exit? No, I would not get on no. your face. No, no. And in fact, I'd go back for the dog. I'm a dog lover, so uh, I'd definitely do whatever I could to get the animal off. Unless it's an ostrich or a pig or something <laughs> like that that people are carrying as support, well, emotional support those animals. Change. Those rules change as of the first of this year. You, uh, come on, Todd. Animals. You know people are... People are going to find a way around that. They're going to find the, the biggest excuse. They're going to put that nice little padded, you know, harness on an ostrich and go, that's a service animal. So <laughs> I got paperwork. I got it online. It's, it's legit. They're, they're going to get creative. You know that. So, well, I know that we've, uh, we've talked to, uh, you know, a good hour or so about, uh, about this particular subject. And one of the big concerns, of course, is this has got to stop. And, you know, uh, compliance through enforcement, that's, that's what the FAA is trying to do now. And they're taking it very seriously. The question is, especially to you, the listener and the viewer is, why are we having to have this kind of methodology? It's all about the fact that you are human. Where's the civility? You got to treat people with respect, whether it's your family, your friends, a flight attendant, a pilot, a gate agent. There has got to be a level of respect and, of course, etiquette. There are just some things you are not going to do. And really, you got to think about it. Would you have this same behavior if you were sitting in your living room? Now, I know some people are going, doesn't matter to me where the hell I am. I'll, you know, I act the same way. Well, again, you're dealing with people and tolerance level, like you were talking about earlier, Todd, and what I would do is I see something going on on an airplane that I don't think is appropriate. I will not have a problem intervening to try and de-escalate the situation. But you have a hundred people in there that if they see you as a threat, they just may beat the hell out of you um, because their lives they believe are threatened by your behavior, your actions, especially if you go up and try and open up a door, pull the handle on an overwing exit, like people have tried to do in flight. I guarantee if you survive that battle, <laughs> the, you know, the, the consequences are not going to be very good. The biggest thing to do is again, not, not get inebriated. Um, you got to tame your attitude, your frustrations, um, and, and plan for the fact that things may not go as smooth as you expect. If you have a fear of flying, then don't fly. Take, there are other modes of transportation, including driving yourself. Because if you think you're going to have these anxiety issues, then don't put others at risk with your attitude, with your behavior, because it's not going to end well. And, and I think that uh, this, you know, having you uh, on to, to discuss this, I think, again, it's all about working together. Uh, it's called the collective. If you watch, you know, Star Trek, you know, we're all part of this safety collective. <laughs> Everybody that gets on an aircraft is in some way, shape or form a, a contributor to aviation safety. Um, we just take a different form or fashion of it. But as a flying passenger, you have the ability to enhance aviation safety either by correcting situations with fellow passengers, assisting flight crew members in the event of a serious event. Um, and so I think that, you know, with that attitude and that education, uh, we can probably curb some of these, uh, the, <laughs> the bad behavior that's going on that, uh, that we're seeing on airplanes today. And speaking so. of that uh, bad behavior that's going on, Yes, there is an increased emphasis. Yes, there are extra rules being put into place by airlines and such. But much of what we're talking about will be here for years and years. The yeah. technology that's used to fly people from here to there isn't going to change that much. The need to behave and cooperate with each other to fly is not going to change much. And the fact that you'll have to be flying with the public at large in all its glory isn't going to change either. 
So as much as you can to change your behavior to deal with this situation, it will pay benefits for years to come. Yeah. Well, my friends, it's been a great show as always. And, and to you, the listener, and now the viewer, we hope that, uh, you know, you find this a little more entertaining. Um, you get to see John and me and now Todd on occasion in our, all of our glory in whatever environment we happen to be sitting in when we record the show. And we would appreciate your feedback. Uh, we want to know what you like, what you didn't like. Um, again, this is going to be something that's living. It's, it's going to be evolving and uh, we're trying to see what works, what doesn't work. So we, uh, we would encourage you to give us your feedback at our, uh, through our email at flight safety detectives at gmail.com. Again, we appreciate, uh, our listeners and, uh, now hopefully our viewers giving us that feedback, giving us ideas to, of subjects to talk about. And uh, John and I are going to be getting back now with the video portion um, to really dissect accidents. So now you're going to be able to see what we're talking about when we look at flight data recorder information or we're looking at damage on an aircraft that we're trying to describe. So uh, we're going we're gonna to take this to the next level, but it's going to be uh, probably a month or so so that we get uh, to feeling comfortable with what we think is the best form and fashion of presenting this information. So again, please give us your feedback, even suggestions and ideas. If you guys are in the uh, multimedia business and or you, you understand the technology, John and I kind of have it. That's why we brought Todd in um, because he's uh, he's been there, done that. So we're using his expertise, but we don't have an affinity to, to blocking out any suggestions to make this show better. So we want to encourage you to, to contact us. And with that, Jet, see, this is live. I mean, you know, you get a little tongue tied, you know, uh, you know, I can't cut this out. So I'm going to turn it over to you, John, before I start saying something that doesn't really make any sense. So uh, why don't you close out the show with, uh, with our sponsors? And of course, the things that I always let you end with, and that is the last words. All right. So just a reminder for all listeners that this show is brought to you by PAMA, the Professional Aviation Association, and by Avemco Insurance. And if you have an, an insurance need in general aviation, give Avemco a call, 888-879-0389. And they'll be glad to help you out or on the web vemco.com uh, good people to deal with and pretty loose because they insure Greg <laughs> I started something you're just going to jab me every time yes. uh, I'm, I'm taking notes John and actually I'm counting that is now the 23rd time in the last month that you've jabbed me so it's a good thing I can't keep count that I <laughs> And I'd like to thank uh, both of you for having me here today. I'm looking forward to being here in the future. And as uh, Greg said, visit uh, flightsafetydetectives.com. You can look at the entire record of past podcasts, of which they're what, 71, 72 now? Yeah. And I'm sure if you have any interest in aviation, there are at least a couple of those you'd like to listen to. And I hope that's the case for the future as well. And once again, uh, and plug your own show. Well, go ahead, my, Todd. I'll, I'll plug my own show. The, uh, key website is airsafe.com. It's been around forever. And rather than tell you about all the things I've done, some of them kind of nefarious online, three <laughs> words, airline, safety, Todd, put that in your favorite search engine. You'll come across all kinds of stuff of mine. So thanks again for having me here today. Well, we're glad to have you and part of the family now. All right. Picture with the numbers underneath it. The picture <laughs> with the numbers underneath it. I can share that. Come on. What is that? Is that the is that the picture that sits in the post office? <laughs> oh, you're talking you're talking about that, that picture with numbers on it. <laughs> I was talking about. Yes, that picture, Todd. Uh, yeah. Well, none in this country, but there may be other countries where I've said some things that have ticked people off. Yep, I know. Well, it's <laughs> the final word I'd like to remind everybody that this pandemic is not over. We've lifted the mask mandate. And personally, I've been going around without a mask, but I don't go indoors without a mask. 
And I won't go indoors where there's a lot of people. I even will consider going in with a mask. All right, so I'm not ready to, to jump off the bridge yet with that. But play it smart. Don't stop washing your hands. I mean, I go through a whole ton of that that uh, stuff that you carry in a little bottle to keep your, your hand sanitizer, keep your hands clean. And I wear a mask wherever I think there's any risk. And if you're going to go fly, please pre-plan your flight. We talk about it over and over and over. Plan what you're going to do. Understand the, the airport you're flying from and flying to. What are the particular problems in those two locations? Right? Do an accurate and thorough pre-flight. I still see people that do a very once-over lightly pre-flight on their airplanes. And after they get flying, I suspect that they don't have the discipline in flight either to do what they should be doing. But in any event, if it's you, do a good pre-flight and fly responsibly. Pay attention, right? Be the safest pilot in the sky because we don't want to lose you. And with that, thank you for listening.